Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to hour number two. This Monday edition of the Jeff Dean Show, whether you're tuning in on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9, or if you're listening via the live stream available to you on the website at ESPNTucson.com, we do appreciate you tuning in, and uh, thank you for your uh, for your loyalty and your listenership, and uh, we hope to continue to bring you all the great content that you expect and that you want right here on the Jeff Dean Show as Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Uh, as I mentioned, FC Tucson tickets coming up at some point in this hour. Be ready for that. Listen for your cue to call. It will be happening sometime before we sign off in the next 57 minutes. So be prepared. Um, let's talk some. T- let's talk some Wildcat basketball. I ran into Coach Lloyd over the weekend. Got to didn't get a chance to to talk to him. I mean, quite literally, ran into him at McHale Center. And uh, but it was good to see him. And uh, I think he's uh, he's going to take a little vacation this week. He's going to be. Spend some time with family before he really digs in for the remainder of the season. Um, look, we didn't get a chance to talk about the uh, the the schedule that came out. Okay, so the the, the non con schedule that came out. October second is going to be the first watch red blue game at McHale Center. That game's going to be at three p.m. It's a great time to have it. October second is a bye week for the football team. It's in the middle of a day on a Saturday, and I think a lot of people are going to be enticed by that. Now. Ticket sales are going to go uh, live for for uh, for that uh, for the red blue game. Okay, um, those are going to go live at 9 a.m. on August 14th. You can start uh, buying the tickets to the first watch red blue game online at ArizonaWildcats.com starting at 9 o'clock on August 14th. Okay, so that's what this Friday, right? It's Saturday, this Saturday. Um, so you can you can start getting your tickets for the red blue game then. That game is October 2nd, 3 p.m., and then it's going to be almost an entire month until we see the Wildcats back on the basketball court as their only one and only exhibition game is going to be November 1st at the McHale Center against Eastern New Mexico, and then they open up their season when the records count as NAU comes to town as they uh, as they normally do, followed by a visit from UT Rio Grande Valley, which is a new uh, a combined university. Um yeah, they're, they're, it's it's a it's a combination. A new they're a new a new school essentially. Uh, November sixteenth is going to be North Dakota State as uh, they come to Tucson, and then the Wildcats are going to go play in the MGM um, at, at the MGM Resorts Main Event Tournament, which is the same place at the T-Mobile Arena where they have the uh, the Pac-12 tournament. Now the teams that are going to be there as the competition is going to ramp up quickly. The teams that Arizona will see in Las Vegas will be host UNLV, of course. And then the other visitor schools are Wichita State and Michigan. Now, Michigan going to be one of the top teams in the country this year. They are, you know, they're going to be very, very good. Um, Arizona has traditionally done very well at this tournament and has traditionally done well against Michigan. I know that doesn't mean a whole lot. I thought it was interesting to find out that Arizona has played Michigan ten times in their uh, in their history, and that Arizona is eight and two versus Michigan, but has losing records against teams such as Wichita State, um, who they may also see at the um, at the at that tournament. So uh, so they'll play that uh, that series right there in the uh, in Las Vegas, November nineteenth, um, as that uh, that tournament kicks off. Then they return home to take on Sacramento State, November twenty seventh, and then conference play begins. Yeah, 
once again, with this new expanded conference schedule that we saw last year uh, coming into play again this year as Arizona opens its Pac-12 conference schedule December 2nd against Washington as the Huskies will come to Tucson. Um, look, we're going to have a lot more in-depth coverage of this once we get closer. I don't want to start talking about Washington Husky basketball here in early August. Won't do it. So, uh, But we'll we'll definitely discuss what the Pac-12 is going to look like coming up. Um, and then Arizona has to turn that around and drive, or fly up, drive up. They don't want to drive. Fly up to Corvallis to take on the Beavers, who, of course, bounce coming off of a, a tremendous season under Wayne Tinkle as they made a deep run, a very unexpected deep run into the NCAA tournament. They return home to host Wyoming. Then they travel to Champaign, Illinois, to take on the Fighting Illini at, uh, at a, in, in a game I think that's going to be uh, you know, a, a revenge match for Kofi Coburn as Kofi came in, got a big L uh, a couple of years ago at the McHale Center. He's going to be looking for, uh, for revenge a little bit. Thankfully, Io DeSumo is now in the NBA, so we don't have to deal with him. But uh, Kofi Coburn's a load, and they'll have to deal with him coming up uh, December 11th. Then the Wildcats return home to uh, finish out their schedule. They're going to take on Northern Colorado and Cal Baptist in mid-December. And their final non-con game as they head out to SEC land to Knoxville to take on the Volunteers of Tennessee. going to be a big matchup, and we're looking forward to that. So that's your non-con schedule. As uh, Arizona announced last week, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I wanted to make sure that we mentioned it. And, and look, it's, you know, your, your home schedule your home, as far as, like, Pac-12 goes. We mentioned Washington already. If you're looking for home games to purchase and flex packages and stuff, um, obviously they're going to play Arizona State at home. Uh, we also are going to see Cal, Colorado, Oregon State, Stanford, UCLA, USC, Utah, and Oregon. So no Washington State at home this year, uh, but we will travel to take on Wazoo uh, in the Palouse later on this season. So um, also, uh, let's see, no, yeah, we don't play Oregon State at home either. Right. So we don't play Oregon State or Washington State. Um, at home so there you go there's your non-con schedule for the Wildcats and look you know Tommy is putting together coach Lloyd is putting together (laughs) I've got to be careful right in this day and age coaches get offended when you just call them by their first name apparently Uh, coach Lloyd has put together look it's it's a it's a good roster and I think this is a roster when you just look at it and you you want to compare it to what the other rosters in college basketball look like as far as in the Pac-12 at least I think you can say that Arizona is projecting to be a top three, maybe a, you know, a top four team in the conference once again. It all depends on, you know, obviously the finished product, what Tommy and his coaches can instill in this team. It's going to be a lot of new pieces working together. And, you know, they don't have that dedicated point guard, I guess, so to speak. Although I really like Kerr Creasa at the point, And I think that, um, you know, I, I think that I think that he'll be fine. Obviously, uh, at the point I know a lot of people look at him as more of a combo guard. I still like him um, at the point. And even if even if things don't work out well for for Arizona with Kirk Creasa at the point, you know they have transfers. You know they got Pella Larson from Utah, and then Georgia transfer Justin Keir. Both of those are ball handlers, guys that have played point in their uh, in their time in college basketball. So, but I do like. Kirk Reese. I was watching, actually, um, I can't remember what station had it on uh, last week. There was a replay of Arizona-UCLA from last year. And um, 
w- w- was really impressed by watching Kerr move the offense. He didn't take a whole lot of shots, and I would have liked to see him shoot the ball more. I know Sean did. I know Sean, Coach Miller, was, was pleading with him to shoot the ball more because Kerr does have a nice stroke. He can't shoot it. Um, but I like the way the offense moves through Kerr, and that was just in his second game back with the Wildcats. So um, I do like where he's at, and I like his mindset. I, he, he, he committed to stay here to Arizona. And I think we can all appreciate that. So looking forward to this season. Uh, and, again, I think this is a, this is a program, this is a, a roster that I look at right now to be considered one of the four best teams in the conference, if not one of the three best teams in the conference, should the guard play come around. And, look, this team is going to look if, – if you've watched college basketball over the last 18 years, if you've watched Gonzaga play basketball over the last 17, 18 years – You'll very much recognize the offense when you see Arizona on the floor with Tommy Lloyd. It is fast-paced, ball movement. They spread the floor well. There's a lot of um, inside-out play. There's a, it's a, it, it's, they really, really focus on moving the ball, passing the ball. It's not going to be dribble, 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 a lot like we saw last year with James Akinjo at the point. And, look, I like – I like James Akinjo. I think James Akinjo is a very good player, and I think he'll serve Baylor extremely well, the defending champs this year, as he transfers in to play uh, point guard for Baylor and Scott Drew there uh, this season. But he, he would not have fit in with the Gonzaga-style offense. It's just not – it's just a it's just a bad mix, right? And I know that, you know, Sean Miller has a, a, he has a, a multiple way, but he does like to have his point guards dominate the ball. And – Understandably so. He's a he's an excellent recruiter of point guards, and of course, playing point guard himself, uh, the point point guards are the, they're the trigger man for the offense. So, Tommy Lloyd runs a completely different offense. They're going to have a lot of wings that are going to be handling the ball. Benedict Matherin and the likes are going to be handling the ball. And look, based on some of the highlight reels that I saw and some of the video that I watched from international play this off season. I am so excited about what Azula Stabellis is going to bring to the floor this year for the Wildcats. I loved what I saw last year. I felt like his game vastly improved from November to March. He His body developed just in that short amount of time. He went from looking like, like a Euro kind of a stretch four to more of a power four that we saw later on in the season. He's, he improved his rebounding. And look, in the open floor, he can really run. He, you know, he's he's uh, you know, 6'10". Uh, a good solid 235 pounds, and he can run, he can handle, and when he gets going, get off the tracks. Like, he's to, he's a freight train. So I'm really looking forward to this team. I think this is going to be a fun team to watch, and especially with the type of offense that they're going to run. This is going to inject uh, a lot of, I, I think, as, as long as the shooting is good, okay, they're going to they're shoot the ball. Okay, you, gotta, you can pass the ball around all you want. If you can't knock down open shots, you're not going to score points. Period. End of story. That's the way it is. Gonzaga has had had a wealth of great shooters over the last decade or so. They've been able to knock down a ton of shots in that time. That's why the ball movement offense, the motion offense, has done so well for them. If you can't knock down open shots, you're not going to score points. That's basic 101 first day stuff, right? This Arizona team, given the fact that if they can hit down their knock down their open shots, they should be very good and should be scoring a lot of points this year. For, uh, for Coach Tommy Lloyd. So very excited about Arizona basketball, as always. And, you know, with, with the transfer of Kim Aiken, you know, it kind of rounds out the uh, the roster. Tommy Lloyd mentioned that he's going to be 
keeping one scholarship open. There's 12 guys on scholarship right now. He's going to keep one scholarship open in case those transfers happen. And, look, we've, we've seen those transfers happen. You know, we've, we've seen guys leave. You know, Craig Victor left just a couple of weeks into the season several years ago, went to LSU, was picked up at LSU, played right away. Justin Simon left just a few weeks into the, uh, into the season, uh, was able to transfer to St. John's, was able to play right away because both of those schools kept open scholarships and uh, guys were able to, uh, to come in and get enrolled and, uh, and start playing right away under, that, under the scholarship. So it's, you know, it, it's going to be it, – it's a good idea for, for Coach Lloyd to keep that open scholarship open, and I think it's important to keep that in mind as we look forward to what could be happening. Is, look, there's, the transfer portal is a real monster, both in football and basketball. It may be worse in football. There was something like I – think, I think Rick Neuheisel was saying that there's something like 834 players right now that are in the transfer portal that don't have, don't have a place to play football which is really, really, 800 players. That's sad. Uh, basketball is, is really bad as well, but look, the transfer portal is real. It's, it's open market free agency for players that want to go play somewhere else, and it, I think it's important for, for any coach. Um, if they don't have that strong 13 to keep one open just in case something happens. And look, if that 13th scholarship never rolls around, you can always just use it again next year and, you know, uh, Try to find, uh, you know, obviously a 13th uh, player for that next year. So I think it's going to be uh, interesting to watch to see what changes occur in, the, like, the October, November, early November portion of the season. But, again, that's still a long ways off, but it's never too early to talk Wildcat basketball here in Tucson, especially here on the Jeff Dean Show. It's, you know, it's my love. I've been going to Wildcat basketball games since I was seven years old. So um, looking forward to, uh, to this season, looking forward to new energy in the building and uh, and having some fun in McHale with fans, with fans, which is going to be, I know it's, it's strange to hear that, but God, it, it feels like for me, it just like last year was just so stale and I hated not having fans there because it's not a, it's not the people say, Oh yeah, you, you, you know, you feed off the fans. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, the PA announcers, you know, the fans and the PA announcer feed off of one another from time to time, you know, unless the PA announcer is annoying or something like that. But, um, the, the, you know, the fans, I, I don't, it's not about me. Like, I, you know, I'm like, I don't care if, the, if I feed off the fans, I go there and I do my job and I'm not a hype man anyway. I'm a more of a classic style. So I don't really feed off the fans. I mean, I do, but I want people to see the product. I want people to be there. I want people to support the program. I want people to watch the team. I want people to enjoy themselves and support Wildcat basketball and wear the colors and have a good time and create discussion and, being at the games is a totally different experience to watching it on TV or listening to it on the radio. As great as Brian Jeffries is, he's the best in the business. It's just a different experience being there and feeling everything and seeing it all and hearing the rim rocking and, and you know, watching all the things that you can't catch when commercials occur. Um, you know, there's, there's just all those things going on. And to me, it's just the fan experience. And I'm just – I'm so happy that – fans are going to be allowed back in the stadium and of course in the McHale Center this year uh McHale Center you'll be you'll be glad to hear um was redoing the acoustics in McHale Center uh last week they had a professional company in there re-looking at the entire sound system and uh checking out that so maybe an improved sound experience at the McHale Center this year as well or could it just be you know that the fans they didn't have fans 
last year, so they had to change the acoustics. Now they got to change it back. I don't know. Regardless, it's an improvement, and uh, we like to see them working in the offseason on those kinds of things and uh, can't wait for basketball season. But first, got to have football season. Also, by the way, um, I wanted to mention this because there will be some opportunities coming up throughout the season, the football season, to win my season tickets for a game. I have season tickets to Wildcat football, okay? And there are going to be times where I'm going to give those things up for a contest here on the show. And I may even just offer up first game, the you know, the, 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 the uh, San Diego State game, may just offer those up right away. Just be like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to offer up. You can sit in my seats. Like, and it's not like I, I don't have, like, sweet tickets or anything like that. They're cool. Like, they're north end zone, which is nice for the amenities and stuff. Uh, don't expect too much. I'm not, I'm not making that much money. I work in radio, for God's sakes. <laughs> uh, speaking of tickets, as I mentioned, any point in time, we could, uh, we could give you that cue to call and your chance to win those FC Tucson tickets. With school just around the corner, we want to help you and the student in your life one more time get the supplies that they need to succeed. As here at ESPN Tucson, we're giving you the chance, the one final chance today, to win a $1,500 back-to-school shopping spree. Today is your last day to register. You can go to ESPNTucson.com, follow the links there, and uh, click away and get your final registration in. And good luck to see who wins that $1,500 back-to-school shopping spree. You're listening here to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. The time is now. 520-719-1490. That's 719-1490-1490. Your chance to win a pair of tickets to go see FC Tucson take on Union Omaha this Saturday at uh, Keno North Stadium. Game starts at 7, gates are at 6. Call now. Caller number 2 at 719-1490. We'll win a pair of those tickets. Good luck, and uh, we'll see who wins. Josh Allen, we, we, signed off, we had been signed off for about 30 minutes on Friday, and Josh Allen... Uh, the news about his new contract extension had been released. The Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen agreed to a six-year contract extension worth $258 million with a new NFL record $150 million guaranteed. It's a $43 million average annual salary, and it makes Allen the second highest-paid player in league history, Patrick Mahomes, is the overall highest-paid player uh, in NFL history. But uh, Josh Allen, new league high, new league record, $150 million guaranteed. Look, the season he had last year is unequivocal to any other quarterback we've seen. With the numbers that he put up and the combination of yards to touchdowns to interception ratio and rushing touchdowns and total offensive accounted for, he earned it, okay? And I had to listen over the weekend and read all the stories about how people are criticizing the Bills for giving him that much money, and I wouldn't give Josh Allen that much money. Listen, it's not your money. I don't know why people are so – sports fans are infatuated with how much somebody makes and whether or not they're they're worth that amount of money. It's not your money. Like, okay, I can understand – if you you know if you're a fan of the Green Bay Packers and essentially your money is their money and all that kind of stuff, it's it's th- these are these are private corporations that are paying their employees. Why should you care 
what they make. Now, these numbers are astounding. The only reason I even care, really, um, about how much they're making and such is because this is setting the market, right? So when a quarterback or when a player at a certain position in the NFL signs a big deal, because, look, the NFL is is a little bit different. NFL is similar to baseball. There's no salary cap, of course, in baseball. But as far as, like, position-wise goes and the value of the player, base, you know, NFL and, and MLB are very similar in how they negotiate contract. Well, so-and-so got, uh, you know, this amount of money, and I hit the same amount of home runs as he did in the same position, and I should get the same amount, if not more, because I'm younger. Uh, the NFL, very, very similar, right? There are times when players feel like it's a fiduciary of theirs to take a bigger number to sign somewhere else because they need to keep the keep the, you know the, the 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 floor rising for their for their position, right? So you know, if a player, let's say you know, let's 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 just say Josh Allen for that matter, okay? Let's say Josh Allen would have signed for more money somewhere else, okay? Is he keeping it like the NFLPA, the Player Association, in the back of his mind, saying that I want to keep the level of quarterback pay going up so that my brothers and such in the, in the, in the uh, union can get paid more and yada, 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 okay? So that's what interests me is now where certain guys are slotted to make money based on other, you know, other deals that have been made. So immediately – the two names that come to mind, rightfully so, are Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield. So those are the two names that come to mind when you say, okay, now that Josh Allen has gotten his bag in Buffalo, the big extension, six years, $258 million, 150 guaranteed, what is Lamar Jackson worth? What is Baker Mayfield worth? Okay. Now, of course, both Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, when asked to comment, you know, Baker said, it's great for Josh. It's great for football. It's great for the quarterback position. I'm not really worried about it right now. John Harbaugh, head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, was asked. He said that both sides want to get a deal done, but that Josh Allen's agreement, his new deal, isn't going to speed up the process of getting getting Lamar Jackson shored up in Baltimore. He said, quote, there's really not a hurry for us. Um, he's going to be our quarterback for years to come. Now, we had a lengthy discussion, or I had a lengthy discussion on Friday about how I don't believe that Lamar Jackson is the, is the quarterback to get you to the promised land. I, you would have to build an incredible defense around him and have a, an offense that is suited to make sure that he's not out there putting himself in danger at the running back, essentially you know, the running back position, you know, RB1, um, in the, you know, as, as the quarterback with the ball in his hands. Because you just you can't win with running quarterbacks. You can't throw the ball from the pocket if you can't be accurate pocket passer. If you can't complete sixty percent of your passes or more from the pocket, you're not going to succeed at the NFL level. That's just the way it is. Like it or not, resist it or not, running quarterbacks are not the future in the NFL. Athletic quarterbacks are always the future. The, the better athletes are always better, right? Josh Allen is a remarkable athlete. When you watch Josh Allen on the field, you can see how fast he is. He's big. He's strong. He can be elusive at times. He's got quick feet. Of course, he's got a great nose for the end zone. He scores a ton of rushing touchdowns every year. Okay, big, strong, tall, lanky. He's got, got reach. He can reach across the goal line. Strong legs. He's fast. He's elusive. He can do all those things. But he's also a 60-plus percent 
completion percentage guy from the pocket. Can throw the ball 75 yards down the field if he wants to. Okay? Having an athlete who's a pocket passer is much more valuable than having a remarkable athlete who is not a pocket passer. And that's why I feel like John Harbaugh is like, yeah, we're not in a real big hurry to sign our quarterback, Lamar Jackson, to a huge extension and give him uh, $260 million of Baltimore Ravens money because, let's be honest, he's out there taking hits. His best asset is his ability to run the football, which we've seen over the years has not worked out well for those quarterbacks. Oh, sure, Cam Newton has done a fine job at 6'5", 255 pounds, size of a linebacker out there running around. He's been able to take the beating that he that he has taken over the years. But we've also seen Michael Vick. We've seen Robert Griffin III. We've seen all, all – name them. Name all the running quarterbacks, all the quarterbacks who run first, and show me how long their careers were and how successful they were. It's the same trend. Do I think Lamar Jackson is going to buck that trend? No, I don't. I think Lamar Jackson is a very talented football player. And maybe someday he'll be a really consistent pocket passer, somewhere around 60%. And I'm not talking about just dink and dunk offense, okay? I'm talking about a guy who can really challenge the ball down the field. It's vertical challenging, uh, vertically challenging the defense, making them respect the deep ball. Okay, he's got talent around him, but this is the year I think that we are all going to look at. At the end of the season, we're going to make our decisions on if Lamar Jackson, and I think the Ravens are doing the same thing, if Lamar Jackson is going to be the guy that wins them a Super Bowl. I personally don't see it. Again, it's a team effort, but I think in the end, he's going to go up against the likes of Patrick Mahomes in an AFC championship game, Josh Allen in in an AFC championship game, maybe even Baker Mayfield in an AFC championship game. And in my opinion, he will get beat by all three of those guys. Not because they have the superior team, but because they have the right combination at quarterback of athlete pocket passer. They're the right combination. Lamar Jackson is the wrong combination, which again is why John Harbaugh says, we're not in a hurry to re-sign him. Congratulations to our winner, Robert Clark. Robert, thank you for listening, and uh, congratulations on your win for the FC Tucson tickets, and enjoy the game this Saturday at Keno North watching some football. We're going to take a timeout. When we return, some more news from the NFL, including the Pro Football Hall of Fame inductions, which brought laughter, which brought tears, and some interesting anecdotes, and most importantly, some gratitude. That's next, right here on the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Don't miss NFL Cover 2 each weekday throughout the ESPN Tucson's programming. Brought to you by Barrio Brewing Company. Barrio Brewing Company, Arizona's oldest brewery, celebrating 30 years of brewing for Arizona. NFL Cover 2 each weekday right here on ESPN Tucson. Pro Football Hall of Fame inductions occurred over the weekend. It was the biggest weekend in Pro Football Hall of Fame history. Of course, the 2020 class being inducted on Saturday night, the 2021 class yesterday. And, man, was it fun to watch. Um, 
some great speeches given by the newest members of the Hall of Fame. Of course, Peyton Manning was the he was the headliner. He didn't go last, which I thought it was funny. John Lynch, not known as like the funniest guy in the world, he's like, man, he goes, my entire career has been tough. I've fought through adversity. I had you know obstacles all along the way, and I get here to the finish line. I get a gold jacket and my Hall of Fame inductions, and I have to follow Peyton Manning. <laughs> it's true because Peyton Manning's speech was amazing. He started making fun of Tom Brady. And then t- the fans started booing Tom Brady, and Tom Brady clapped back at him. He said he yelled something at him. This is like it's it's so much fun. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was a, it was a lot of fun. You know, Peyton did the the speech that you would kind of expect from a Peyton Manning, right? And you know, the funny thing is, as has been customary his entire career, he squeezed more out of his two minute drill than anyone in the history of the game. He squeezed more into his eight minutes that he had on the uh, on the stage uh, thanking and talking about his career, thanking the people and and uh, and everything and sending the message out that he wanted to send. It was one, there was one thing about Peyton Manning. Like, if you gave the ball back to the Colts with whatever time left before halftime, they were going to score. They were going to put points on the board. Peyton Manning would find a way, 38 seconds left, if the Colts get the ball back, you're in trouble. You're going to give up points. You're going to give up three. You're going to give up six. Something's going to happen, okay? If he ran a two-minute drill against, I can't. There was a statistic once on one of the games, and I wish I had like written it down or taken a picture of the screen or something. It was some ridiculous number, like eighty-eight percent of his possessions in the final two minutes of a first half have resulted in points. That's just ridiculous, man. It's sick. Like, how good was that dude? And during his speech. I mean, I didn't expect Peyton Manning to be that good of a public speaker. I, you know, I've seen him speak and heard him speak, obviously. But his eight minutes was a – it was like he'd been practice, practicing it his entire life. It was like a, like a Shakespearean actor going through the entire 3,000 lines of Hamlet and knowing it back to front and front to back and being able to recite it at will and quickly. He was amazing – during his speech, he 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 was funny. He he mentioned, of course, you know Tom Brady and the amount of time that people get to you know to to thank and, and to talk about their careers and the six minutes that they get. And by the time Tom Brady is eligible in the 2035 class, which was funny, meaning that he'll retire in 2030, which is nine years from now. Which, uh, I, who knows? You look at Tom; he looks he looks like he's in his early 30s right now. That arm's got to give out at some point. We're waiting for it. But, uh, yeah, he was, I mean, he was extremely funny. And then things got started to get a little more serious. Started talking about his dad, started to get choked up a little bit, rightfully so. You know, Archie was a, a huge influence in his career and his life, obviously. Um, and then talked about his family and his wife and his kids and, of course, his brothers and his mom. And it, it, was, it was a really nice moment um, for, for Peyton Manning. But I thought the most interesting thing to come out of his mouth during that speech was the final three minutes or so when he said that he started, you know, he started to coach and he got into coaching and he's coaching his son's flag football team and just how much he enjoyed sharing the game of football with, with young kids. And then he started to talk about the future of the game and not about the NFL, just the game of football. 
He mentioned, you know, pulling the flags, and he, he mentioned all forms of the game of football. He said it's the responsibility of all those in attendance, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, to ensure that the game of football does not falter for the next generation, for the next year, for the next decade, for the next generation, that it's incumbent on all those people who were in attendance last night, coaches, players, fans, administrators, owners, to ensure that the game of football continues to grow and continues to move in a positive direction. Because there have been so many things that have occurred over the last several years, whether it be social injustice, uh, divisiveness amongst other types of, of social issues with the NFL and its players. There have been plenty of labor disputes between owners and players association. Okay, these are all just parts of, that's, you know, that's just part of business. What Peyton Manning came across to me last night during his speech was that he sounded like a great future commissioner for the NFL. Now, I may be, you know, a little wrapped up in the moment or something like that. I was like, that sounds like a new commissioner. That, to me, sounds like everything that an NFL commissioner needs to be, you know, represented. I don't know if it's something that Peyton Manning wants to even take on. Obviously, he's going to need to get into the business of negotiations and playing the bipartisan role and trying to please everybody at once, which is what the NFL commissioner essentially has to do. They have to be – they have to please the players. They have to please the owners. They have to please the fans. They have to please, it, it's it's a, it, a thankless job. Nobody ever gets the amount of credit that they deserve until after they've retired. People can – talk about Pete Rozelle all they want and what a great commissioner he was. I was alive when Pete Rozelle was the commissioner of the NFL, and trust me, people talked a lot of crap about that dude. People were very unhappy with Pete Rozelle plenty of times in his career, and now he's talked about as the greatest commissioner of sports history. <laughs> it's going to happen Happen with Paul Tagliabue. It's going to happen with – I mean, look, listen. It's a thankless job. It's a very difficult job. I don't know if it's something that Peyton Manning wants to undertake, but if it's something that he does, I do believe that Peyton Manning will be someone that is successful in that type of situation, in that, in that role. A former player moving into that position, though, is probably not something that the owners are going to be exceptionally excited about unless he becomes an owner himself at some point. He's going to have to be an owner, play that side, and then move into the commissioner's role eventually after he's been an owner for you know eight or ten years and seen that side of the business. Because 32 NFL owners are not going to approve a former player as a commissioner and just be like, all right, here we go. This is what we're doing. We're going to do everything for the players. And all of a sudden, <laughs> the owners are like, wait a second, time out. Where's, where's all our love? We're still 51% of the business here. So while it all sounded great, and I do feel like, the words that he said, you know, he, he said, you know, he, he said, God bless football. That's how he ended his, his speech. God bless football. The guy loves the game. He talked about the game of football for a third of his speech. Didn't talk about how it benefited him. It didn't talk about, he, you know, he, he didn't talk about how, you know, his, his wins and his Super Bowl victories and stuff. He was full of gratitude, thanked the right people, mentioned enough people, I think, to, to keep everyone in his life happy, and then talked about his love for the game of football and how it's so important for the next generation of people to embrace football the way that 
his generation did. I thought it was very rousing, very, very, uh, very important. And, look, if that's something that he wants to get into, right now he's going to get into broadcasting. We, we mentioned that he and his brother are going to be having, like, like, a, like house party Monday night football commentary. I'm going to tune in just out of sheer morbid curiosity, <laughs> okay, uh, to see just what they're talking about just because I think it's a silly idea. It doesn't mean I'm not going to tune in and watch at least one episode of it and see what happens, see what it's like. But I thought it was uh, a great speech, and uh, look, all, a lot of the speeches were great. Um, Calvin Johnson's speech, uh, he's catching a lot of – I shouldn't say catching a lot of guff. There was a notable – omission of thanking the Detroit Lions organization during his speech. He, I mean, he essentially went out of his way to thank everybody except the Detroit Lions. He mentioned them once, and that was when he mentioned that the Detroit Lions during their 0-16 season, his second year in the NFL. You know, Calvin, he carries a lot of, you know, he harbors a lot of ill will towards the Detroit Lions. You know, he, he, he re-signed with the Lions Knowing that they were a losing organization, he set the NFL record for most yardage by a wide receiver. He nearly got 2,000 yards as a wide receiver, which is insane to think about. Um, they won four games that year. Then he re-signed with the team, even though he could have gotten buku bucks anywhere else. He was the best receiver in football. Not even close. Best receiver in football during his time, during his nine seasons in the NFL. And he re-signed with the Lions, and then when he retired, because he had so much back pain, that he could barely get out of bed in the morning. The Lions asked for money back. <laughs> and then, you know, basically just, you know, like, hit, you know, hit the road, Jack. See you later. Thanks for nothing. They just, they, they, they didn't treat him the way you treat someone of, of his loyalty and especially his ability on the field, the way, the things that he did for that organization. So rightfully so, he was, he still carries a lot of ill feelings towards that organization. Looking ahead at the class of 2022, now these are notable first-time players, players who are eligible for the first time into the induction, okay? The 2022 class, these are just notables by Adam Schefter. He's got DeMarcus Ware. I think he's easily a first, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Steve Smith Sr., I don't know about first ballot, but he definitely belongs in there. He's fantastic. Andre Johnson, not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but dominant wide receiver. He'll have his day in Canton eventually. Robert Mathis, obviously very good football player, probably not a first ballot Hall of Fame guy, but, you know, again, who am I to decide? I don't have a vote. Anquan Bolden, we're all familiar with him, his toughness, how good he was. Um, you know, let, let the voters decide. Vince Wilfork, of course, great defensive tackle for so many years in the NFL. And the interesting one is Devin Hester, who's going to be up for inauguration or induction in his, his, the first time in his career. Is Devin Hester a player who belongs in the Hall of Fame? Now, you say, well, what position did he play? Well, he played wide receiver. He, wasn't, he didn't put up great numbers as a wide receiver. He, he was known, obviously, as a special teams return man. So he's a specialist. Was he the best in the game at the time that he played? Absolutely he was. There's no, there's no doubt. I mean, many people would consider him the best kick and punt returner in the history of the game of football, which is saying something. There's been some pretty good ones, right? So that being said, and knowing that, I think you could say he's a, he's, he's, he's a Hall of Famer, right? He's a Hall of Fame player. 
You put him in as specialist. You could probably put him in as wide receiver. He had a couple good seasons. Certainly not wide receiver Hall of Fame worthy. But I think Devin Hester is a good enough player and made enough impact on the league during his time that he deserves his chance in Canton. Again, not first ballot. I think the only first ballot guy on this list is DeMarcus Ware. And the reason I say that, and I know that people are going to immediately go to the stats. Well, you know, as many sacks as this guy and this guy. You talk to any offensive lineman that ever played in the era that DeMarcus Ware played, and you ask those offensive linemen who were the three toughest guys to block, two of the names will always be driven. They'll, they'll switch back and forth, uh, you know, Dwight Freeney and you know, all these other guys. They're going to change those names. There is one name that is almost on every single offensive tackles list when you ask them who was toughest block, and that's DeMarcus Ware. He was unblockable. During the height of his career, he was impossible. I watched games where they would they would uh, go strong side, they'd put the tight end, they'd motion the tight end over into an, eight back, an H-back slot, and they'd leave a running back behind to try and mop up the, 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 the remnants after DeMarcus Ware ran around the left tackle, ran over the tight end, and they just needed a running back to get in the way so that the quarterback could get rid of a football. He was remarkable. Again, doesn't have the greatest stats, uh, a lot of injuries, history, and things like that, but my God an unstoppable wrecking ball at, uh, at his position. One of the best ever. So, again, way, way early on that, but that's just my opinion. I think he's the only first ballot Hall of Fame in the 2022 class. Hopefully we can get some of those guys that I mentioned on Friday, my top five list of, uh, of players who should be in the Hall, guys like Heinz Ward, Roger Craig, Patrick Willis, guys that should be in there, uh, Randy Gratishar, that, that belong in the Hall of Fame that need to be in there. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to pin a big, bright, red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. You're listening here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Coach Bill Belichick, again, we will continue to talk about him. I think he's if not the greatest, one of the greatest football coaches ever to walk the sidelines. In, a, uh, in an interview with Ben Volin of the Boston Globe, he said, quote, talking about Peyton Manning, he is definitely the best quarterback I've ever coached against. There have been quarterbacks who called their own plays, but it was nowhere near the same as what he did. He basically called every play by adjusting and or changing the play once he saw what the defense was doing. He excelled at using the cadence and recognizing blitzes, and more than any one single offensive player, he forced us to change and adapt defensive game plans. Now, the, 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 the Belichick and Manning rivalry is deep, okay? They faced each other 20 times total in, the, in Peyton's career. They faced each other 15 times in the regular season. Belichick went 10-5 and five against Peyton Manning during that time. But there were five times they met in the playoffs and Peyton Manning won three of those five games. So when you talk about the history of, of those two facing off against one another, played each other 20 times, Belichick got a 12-8 and eight record against Peyton Manning. That's pretty darn good, speaking of you know, his record against other quarterbacks. Now, as someone who grew up a 49er fan and has died on the Joe Montana Hill for years, up until 
basically up until this season, this past Super Bowl, when Tom Brady won the Super Bowl in his first year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I kind of decided to step off that hill and acknowledge that Tom Brady is, in fact, the greatest quarterback ever played. But could you make the argument that when we saw those Colts and Patriots games, those classics, I mean, we remember a bunch of them, right? Playoff games, regular season games, showdowns between those two. Were we watching the two greatest quarterbacks ever to play in the NFL? I think the argument could be made. Because if Bill Belichick claims that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback he's ever, he's ever seen and that Peyton Manning is the greatest quarterback he's ever coached against, okay, now he's – you know, hadn't had a chance to coach against some of the other guys, obviously, Elway and Montana uh, and some of the other people that are, that are in the conversation for greatest quarterbacks ever. But when we look back on it all, when we were watching those games between the Patriots and the Colts, could we say, yep, I saw, I saw Peyton Manning and Tom Brady on the field duke it out several times as the two greatest quarterbacks ever? I certainly think the argument could be made. I'm not willing to make that argument yet. I just gave up Joe Montana to the number two spot a few months ago. Not ready to give him up to the number three spot to Peyton Manning. Not right now, at least. to wait for a little while. All right, well, that's going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Congratulations to Robert Clark for winning those FC Tucson tickets. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, enjoy the game on Saturday night. Of course, thank you to Mary behind the glass for pushing all the right buttons and keeping us on the air. And of course, thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in here. Don't forget to stay tuned for Spears and Ali today at 3 o'clock. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. on the Jeff Dean Show here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson.